0: Today on the More Jody Podcast, we discuss slavery and human trafficking. The reason we need this conversation is because the eye doesn't see what the mind doesn't know. Conversations like this are eye-opening, heartbreaking, heavy, but victims need us to be brave enough to show up and hear their stories, courageous enough to pay attention and support these causes that do something with the funds that we give and the information they have. Today, we show up. Today, we listen, so that tomorrow we might just identify this happening in our own communities. Today, I'm honored to have Amy Goslin from 10,000 Windows on the Marjody podcast. 10,000 Windows confronts modern slavery at its root to empower real freedom that lasts. They restore the lives of survivors of trafficking, exploitation, and slavery and help each individual find lasting freedom. Every year, 40 plus million people are sucked into an evil cycle of exploitation. They are enslaved and trafficked by exploiters who prey on the vulnerable. And at 10,000 windows, they believe every person deserves freedom forever. I hope you will listen to this. You will gain some wisdom and understanding of this huge and disgusting industry. Um, The coolest part, though, is that you will leave hopeful you will leave recognizing that there is beauty from ashes in the lives of these victims and in your own life. Please share this podcast with a friend, share it with everyone you know to help raise awareness. Please go and donate today at 10,000windows.org. Welcome Amy Goslin, to the More Jodi podcast. How are you
1: doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. This is exciting to share and yeah, I'm happy to be here. So thank you.
0: Well, I am like, I'm nervous. I'm so excited. And, and I've followed you for a couple months now on social media. And my husband said, I think you'd really like this girl and you might want to talk to her. So you should go check her out. And pretty quickly, I was like, I love this girl. I feel like I could be friends with this girl. So I'm, I'm like, really excited about having you on today. And, as my listeners, as I just introed, they know you are the marketing director from an organization called 10,000 Windows that works to stop cyber sex trafficking in the Philippines. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. We do. We work with uh, human trafficking survivors, including cyber sex trafficking survivors, and we work to restore victims' lives through economic empowerment services.
0: Which is just... So so powerful. And this is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, which that, that's right. It is. Yeah. It's just coincidental, which I had no idea. But to kind of just first explain, I'm I'm I think the reason also that I'm nervous is this is a very tender topic and it needs more airtime and Because I'm always vulnerable first, even for my listeners to know that like this is a hard thing, this conversation for me, because um, I just want to um give so much respect and so much respect for anyone working in this industry, people trying to overcome, you know, what's what has happened in their lives. Thanks for bearing with me and thanks for being willing to talk to me. And first, why I wanted to interview, I didn't know that there would be a marketing director for an organization like this. So I was first curious because I love business and i was like this is a this is a thing this is a job this is how someone spends their life so i thought that was really cool and i feel a real ache and pull on my heart i've always been passionate about the human experience but i think the human experience and human resilience plays out so powerfully in human trafficking situations because some of the stuff i can't even believe people have endured this and survived it and to think that there's an organization helping people Live lives after that. And I think that you know that there are organizations working to end human trafficking, right? Um, But I don't think I realized there were organizations looking to help survivors live a better life. So thanks so much for being on this podcast today and um, teaching us about 10,000 Windows and human trafficking. And with that, I'll stop talking and ask you to tell us a little bit about your journey into this organization.
1: Sure, sure. Yes. Uh, When I think back on my past, you know, 12 years in the anti-trafficking sector, I mean, really, there's there's three turning points that I've I've had in my life started way back in high school because I grew up in a very typical, very normal middle class Canadian family. Grew up in the Northern half of Saskatchewan. It was just my sister and I my parents, you know, just a very low key life. We did all the normal like things, dance and gymnastics and all that kind of stuff. Um, We were a church family and my parents instilled within my sister and I really deep values of justice, compassion and empathy as really fundamental to the Christian faith. So that was, you know, that was my growing up life. But I mean, I was entirely based in Canada uh, until high school and I had an opportunity in my first year of college to travel to Haiti with um, some some friends, some friends as part of a group uh, through a church group and that exploration of the world that, I mean, it really just blew my mind. Um, And I do remember with with clarity, you know, going through the streets of of Haiti and being confronted by how so much of the world lives their lives, you know, and it is so different than the way I lived my own. Uh, and we were under very strict in- instructions that week in Haiti uh, by the, the trip leader. To we This was not about us talking to anyone or teaching anything. It was about sitting back and being quiet and listening and learning from these local leaders who knew their context better than anyone else. It was time to, to listen and to pay attention. And, What struck me is we were just so intensely naive, all of us, all of us like 18 year olds, you know, walking in with all of our privilege, you know, and um, they, these, these individuals welcomed us so graciously, you know, very compassionately welcoming all these young souls and amidst devastating poverty and lack of opportunity, there was this, resilience and this profound strength. There was this capacity for faith that I had, I'd never witnessed before, you know, in my life, in my middle-class existence in Canada. And so after that week, you know, I, I was reflecting and I, I, it was, it was literally a turning point. It was a turning point in my life where it was this urgency to bear witness to the things that I'd seen and heard that I could bring awareness in my own community in Canada to the things of injustice in our world, and that it does take all of us working together, all of yeah. us working together to to bring transformation. And so that was the first turning point for me. You could flash forward, you know, a few years. I've graduated from university with a journalism degree. I've gotten married, and Steve and I. Steve's my husband's name. We've been in Canada for a little bit. We've been working and we looked at each other one Sunday afternoon driving, it was November. I don't know why I remember these details. We looked at each other and we just said, it's time. It's time for a new adventure. And I think we might've even pinky swore, you know but we decided that we would put our combined energies towards trying to find, discover an international job posting. Think this, this notion of exploration of international justice of you know using our gifts and talents in some way um to serve the world uh was something that we held in common and we just felt it was time it was time and so uh 10 months later we packed two big huge duffel bags set them on those you know
0: conveyor belts at the calgary
1: at the calgary airport and we jumped on an airplane and flew to cambodia And we ended up living and working there for six years. Cambodia ended up being um, another significant turning point. Cambodia was where I was introduced to human trafficking. I I hadn't really heard of it or known about it before. That was sort of 2008 was when we moved to Cambodia. And that was the time where things were starting to emerge and awareness was growing about this egregious evil that's happening in the world. And Cambodia was a real epicenter of child trafficking, women trafficking, and I ended up working in the counter-trafficking sector in Cambodia for five years. That was where, the reason it was a, such a huge turning point was not just the introduction to trafficking, but human dignity as a whole.
0: Just a question, when you mm-hmm. say working in it, what were you doing in that role?
1: Yeah, no, Because you're a journalist, yeah. right? You're a journalist, yeah.
0: so are you- yeah. What are you doing there?
1: Yeah, so after I gained my journalism degree, I quickly moved into nonprofit communications. Oh, okay. First of all, journalism was shifting at that point in time. And I, I learned um, or discovered, I guess, about myself, my personality, uh, and just the what was available, that working for a nonprofit organization with values um, and a mission with which I firmly believed was a way for me to tell important stories that really mattered to get out into the world. And so uh, that's that's what I ended up choosing to do. And so I was working for a nonprofit in Cambodia. I was an international nonprofit. It was working in um, to restore, rehabilitate, and reintegrate human trafficking survivors in Cambodia, both women and children. So I was doing communications for them. And, you know, in that work, it's, it, it is tricky to at once need to advocate on, on behalf of uh, an issue of this magnitude, but also tenderly acknowledging that these stories uh, are really difficult. And yeah. how do you balance a survivor's anonymity and privacy? And, and how do you also share, share um, with with those around the world who can generate the funds and the resources right. to support this type of, of work that it does require. That you do require interventions and services to restore someone's life. So, right. yes. Um, yeah, so that's that was the work that I did in Cambodia. This, this big turning point in Cambodia um, was, you know, learning uh, that we're actually not all that different. We may you know, someone growing up and being born in Cambodia, someone like myself growing up and being born in Canada, different languages, different cultures, um, but our, our fundamental desires, uh, our dreams for the future, our hopes—they're yeah. so they are this—they're so similar. You know, it's yeah. safety, it's freedom, it's. Um, living out our God-given potential, you know, yeah. those are the things that we desire and the things that we dream about. And those, um, I'm not sure I had ever really considered that before, that there's this commonness in humanity of being formed in the Imago Day, you know, the, you know, this, we are, uh, in all of us, in the image of God and, um, how we how we move forward with that in our work and and how we how we tell stories. Um it, it shifted something for me. So that was my second turning point. And the third turning point, the way that I got to right now. So I, I entered the counter trafficking sector in Cambodia and we ended up having two kids in Asia. My first was born my first daughter was born in Thailand, the second was born right in Cambodia. And when she was nine months old we said I don't know. Sometimes there's just these nudges and urgings, you know. You can't yeah. quite explain it. Would have made more sense maybe to live in Cambodia for longer. We had such a great life. It was warm all year round, yeah. lots of plenty of adventures to have. And yet we just felt this, this prompting that it was time, time to go, time to come home. And and I found um, an interesting coming full circle, you know. So this third turning point moving home has has been. Uh, I found myself in this place where once again, I'm in my like home, home community. I'm in my home language and I'm able to share with my network and my community and my family and my friends here, what I know happens somewhere else around the world and engaging and engaging um, my, my community in, in a movement to bring hope, you know, to other places around the world here also where, um, things are hard. So yeah. that's, that's ultimately how I started work at 10,000 windows to two and a half years ago. And it's been just a great privilege to be able to fuse, to, you know, to combine all of my sector experience and in, in counter trafficking, uh, bringing my storytelling and journalism and being yeah. able to be back home closer to family and, you know, sort of amplify this message. I mean, we are able to use our voices to, enhance and amplify those who have lost theirs or for whom their voices have been subdued. So it is just a great privilege to work here from, from home to, um, to generate awareness and, and funds and to be supporting this work. There's just such a lack of awareness here. Is that hard for you? Because it's,
0: we're just little babies with our eyes kind of opening to this here. I imagine that <laughs> would
1: be frustrating and hard. Um, yeah yeah no that's that is that is interesting it is it is true i mean there is uh, i mean awareness has grown i mean when i first was introduced to human trafficking i felt like no one knew like i mean i was just yeah. learning about it this was, it was more than 10 years ago now i'm just going to start dating myself i don't <laughs> want to do that but uh, so i mean it has been i have i have seen over the past decade that there is a literacy around human trafficking this issue that didn't exist back then. So we have made progress. Might have it might be incremental, but we have right. made progress, and I think I can rest in that. That yeah. um, so now now it's just sort of amplifying that message. It's continuing to get the word word out. It's you know clarifying things. It's um, sharing more stories. Uh, and so it, yeah, I mean there is misinformation too. There's a lot of misinformation. And and that can be more frustrating to to manage than sort of, right. lack of understanding altogether. So lack it's like oh awareness. no 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 you know you'll see something on social media like oh no 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 that's not true <laughs> yeah, totally so that. that. yes. yeah, yeah, There's sure <laughs> <Definitely is. laughs> a lot of that. Yes, yeah, there's definitely a lot of
0: that. We both have a passion for sharing people's real life stories. That's like definitely the reason for this podcast. When I first started following you, I didn't know what cyber sex trafficking was. Versus human trafficking, um, would you explain to my listeners the difference between those two things?
1: Sure, sure. Well, um, cyber sex trafficking is one form of human trafficking, and the technical term is actually online sexual exploitation. And uh, so, so what it is, it's it's essentially sex trafficking. Uh, tra- trafficking, first of all, is it is a technical term around like judicial process. So it is. It's a recognized crime against humanity, right? That's what human trafficking is. It's, uh, it's force. It's coercion, it's trickery, it's manipulation that are used to target, manipulate and ensnare people against their will. So sometimes the word trafficking itself can, can make us think that, oh, someone must be moved around, you know, like right. in, the, in the trafficking, you know, the right. traffic, but that's actually not necessarily true it can be true, but it's not necessarily true. And this is particularly the, the, the case for for cyber sex trafficking, it's uh, individuals who are experiencing sexual abuse, Sexual violence, um, sexual assault, which is either streamed online live over the internet, or it's filmed, and and mass-produced and disseminated over the internet. So, some uh, you know that's that is what cyber sex trafficking is, and we have seen a spike in cyber sex trafficking throughout the COVID nineteen pandemic as things have shut down as people have moved online. So, you know, um, trafficking uh, certainly adjusts and pivots, you know, as um, as things change in society. And this is one of the outcomes that we have seen is an increase in in cyber sex trafficking. So that is what it is.
0: Which (laughs) is just devastating. What is the message that you want to get out to people listening right now? And what questions do you want to ask us?
1: I mean, the, the, the message really, I mean, this is, it is happening, you know? These things are happening. Um, trafficking happens. It, it happens in every country around the world. No country's um, immune. It affects 40 million people. That's the entire population of Canada. 40 million people annually are impacted by trafficking. Uh, it can feel like this massive, intense, you know, overwhelming issue. And yet, um, I think we have more power than we maybe think we do. And as you've said already, knowledge is power. Yeah. Uh, we can learn about this. We can look into our purchasing habits and the companies that we buy from. We can, uh, we can talk to our governments and raise awareness we can be communicating with our, our friends and spreading the truth about this amongst our networks. And I do think that we have more power than sometimes we think we do. Um, So that is one thing that I I do want people to know is that human trafficking is happening. It is also not the end of the story. I do see in our work at 10,000 windows, we see stories of Beautiful transformation. We see women who've experienced like the worst things that mm-hmm. people can experience, who have overcome, who've done the hard work of processing trauma, who've done the hard work of finishing high school, who've done the hard work of um, getting that college degree, you know, who've done the hard work of putting themselves out there and getting that first job. You know, we've, we've seen women survivors overcome so much and now bringing transformation to their own communities. There's one survivor that we have worked with at 10,000 Windows. She was a victim of human trafficking. Her, her mother and her aunt sold her for sex as a teenager. She was repeatedly sold for sex and exploited in a brothel by her own family members. And she has done the hard work, you know, she's done, she has, she has experienced tremendous brokenness and devastating trauma. um, But with, with caring support, with having the services that she needed to be able to access, she got psychological care, she was managing PTSD, she's um, achieved a high school diploma. She got a college degree. She's now a social worker oh. for the local. And she's yeah. helping other families who are impoverished in the Philippines who are at high risk of trafficking their own children or at high risk of their teenagers being trafficked. And she's she's now helping to curb that to stop it. And so it can feel really dark and intense, but there's also really beautiful stories of transformation. And that is what moves me and drives me every day in my work.
0: Well, and there's nothing more powerful than a woman set on fire. You put a woman on fire for something like this and like, she's unstoppable. She's lit right. Like she's literally unstoppable. And I always say healed people heal people. Right. And the more that, the more that she heals, the more that she'll beautify the world, the more that she will you know, spread that love and that healing that she has experienced. Um, That's, that's really interesting when you talk about parents selling their own children. Um, I think even for myself, I really didn't think it happened in Canada. And, you know, and there, from what I read, like there are like, there are kids in your school, there are people that we just have no idea. And I think until you said that just now, I didn't even know that, I don't know why, I kind of just thought it was people that would be lured away by pimps and stuff. When you say about parents that get so desperate that they sell their own children for trafficking because they need to survive survival. It's their survival. Their only um, means of survival. A big focus of 10,000 windows is poverty and education. Something, could you speak a little bit about how those go together and where the people that you guys work with in the Philippines where that vulnerability is
1: for sure yeah um yeah certainly vulnerabilities key vulnerabilities are the the biggest factors in what drive in what drive human trafficking uh extreme poverty is one of them and extreme poverty the women that that we work with in the philippines um there are not enough economic opportunities to go around and impoverished families typically uh, may not have the financial resources to put their children through all the years of schooling. So kids or young women, teenagers may leave work, sorry, leave school early in order to find work and to help support their families, which is a very common um, cultural practice in the Philippines. It's a, you know, extended families often live together. You've got a very communal culture, which is very common in in countries in Asia. It's very different from our own very individualistic nuclear family, sort of only at like the apparatus that we're familiar with in Canada. And so this notion of uh, supporting your family, contributing to your family, often your extended family is very common it's a a powerful driving force for people and the level of education the, the UN the World Bank have all done research projects on this there is a link between level of education and income earning potential and we know this in Canada as well right you know you you've got you you get your MBA and your earning potential is right higher than, you know, if you have a less, less education. It's not always clear cut like that, but certainly there is a correlation between level of education and an income earning potential. In the Philippines, uh, in order to qualify for even minimum wage work, you need to have your high school diploma.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not all that different in Canada. You know, you sort of have to have high school, No, sort of have to have high school in order to Get a reasonable job, right? Right. And in the Philippines, it's similar. And minimum wage work at a minimum is what is connected to health benefits, what's connected to paid time off, you know, all those sociological sort of inputs. So that's where poverty and education are correlated in the fight against trafficking. Because for an impoverished family who everyone in the household needs to be contributing to family income and all of your children don't end up completing high school, they're not going to be able to find a good job. And therefore they're at risk for exploitative employers, at taking risky job offers uh, and and just generally finding unsafe work, which perpetuates the the cycle. Yeah.
0: So at 10,000 Windows then, you guys are like you said working with survivors, you follow along with them on their journey. Um do you guys work to pay for the education or do donations pay for that? How do our donations help at 10,000 Windows? What do they do for your
1: people? Great, great question. So we do. We work, we do walk a journey of restoration with trafficking survivors. Survivors will enter our care and they are immediately connected with a counselor who will provide sort of that case management approach. You know, they will be, their counselor is going to check in with them regularly. They're also going to immediately start a three-month job readiness training program, wow. which is going to set them up for, to decide what might I want to do with my life? What, and if, if this is what I want to do, if I want to be a teacher, if I want to be a social worker, if I want to work for a tech company, what, whatever it is that I think I might want to do, what are the steps then that I need to take in order to achieve those goals? Right. And so once they finish that three-month program, they head into the next phase, which is often education catch-up. So if someone hasn't finished high school and we know right. that that's a minimum standard, then we will support them through education scholarships in order to achieve their, it's a GED equivalent in the Philippines. Okay. High school equivalent to complete their high school equivalency exam. And there are in some interesting figures, um, all of the survivors that we served in 2019, who took their high school, um, who, who went through our like education scholarship program for high school, almost 90% passed their equivalency exam. Now, wow. if you look at the general uh, data across the Philippines, national statistics, someone who doesn't, go, it's 17% of people who go oh, wow. to, to like try and pass their high school equivalency exam, they it was only 17% who passed. So you can sort of see the impact of having a counselor who's listening, yeah. who's checking in on you, who's supporting you, who is helping you deal with unresolved trauma or family difficulties or whatever, and access to education scholarships, because sometimes just the finances are out of reach as well. So so once someone has achieved high school, then the next step is to start exploring job opportunities. And we network with local businesses. We do training with local businesses as well on mental health and trauma in the workplace, how how can you like maybe identify the signs? How would you mm-hmm. work with someone who's exhibiting signs? Do yeah. you mean signs of being trafficked or what sort of signs are you referring to? Yeah, the signs of that someone would be exhibiting mental health issues, you know, perhaps anxiety, depression, PTSD, you know, and how, how workplaces can create a more um, supportive environment for people or, who for have people post ex- okay post trauma yeah post trauma yeah. post
0: trauma i interviewed a girl who works with luminary bakery out of london and they work mm. to get women off of the streets out of trafficking out of prostitution and they teach them how to bake isn't that so special and i had i'd never heard of a social enterprise that did that i like i'm like i gotta start a bakery like i this is incredible <laughs> like i feel yeah. like there's this whole world I didn't know about of people Mm -hmm. helping people. So when with 10,000 windows and you talk about the counselor that's provided and stuff, um, it sounds like a lot of layers, which are so important and so necessary. Is it also funded by the the government there?
1: We work in partnership with the government. Our particular program is not funded by the government, but we do work in conjunction with multiple government agencies in order to do our work. So we'll get referrals from government um, like aftercare shelters or um, and we'll work with government social workers. Um, But this is yeah, it's an area that's underfunded in the Philippines and hence we partner uh, with North American funding in order to to support that, to support the gaps. Yeah, which is incredible. So
0: our donations would go directly 10,000 windows and they're gonna fan out the money as needed.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, charitable gifts that we receive in North America in Canada or in the States, they go to support um, the restoration of survivors in the Philippines. It goes towards paying a counselor salary. It goes towards having that job readiness training program for three months it uh, those donations help create connections to really good jobs that so a survivor can break the cycle of exploitation in her life for her herself and for her children to you know for generations to come Um, yeah that's what we that's what we fundraise for is to run our programs on a regular like day-to-day in the philippines well, and I think even
0: there must be a level with family being valued so high in the Philippines. Um, I can only imagine for the, the people who are the 17% that try on their own to pass their, you know, high get their high school diploma, feeling like you failed
1: your family. Like the level oh. of shame. I can only imagine. Oh. Right? Yeah, it, Yeah, it is profound. It is profound. And... Uh, and, and for trafficked victims, sometimes that shame uh, they experience to stigma at the community level, and that's really challenging. That's why that level of support, counseling a community of care, yeah. helping helping that individual integrate socially back into their family, into their community, uh, why it matters so much for, for that individual to work through trauma, shame, you know, and to be able to, uh, live, live fully, you know, again.
0: Live fully. Yeah. I just, I think about when you talk about helping those workplaces, learn how to create an environment that is safe for, you know, trauma victims. It makes me think just about how, how layered that trauma is, right? Like it's not just, what they've been through the pain they've experienced it's the like the community shame that's possibly there right
1: totally it is really layered you're right it is really layered um and yeah so a complicated issue takes sort of a complex approach to to solve you know and lots of layers so that's yeah yeah, lots of layers yeah yeah
0: are there ways that we can volunteer and help from here with ten thousand windows
1: Yes. Yeah, there, there, there definitely are. When in a normal, not a COVID universe, we often will will run like exposure visits to the Philippines where groups of people can can learn more about the work, can can interface with some of our staff. Uh, but we are not in a non-COVID world at the moment. So there are ways to volunteer. We run a, an annual run-walk Bike-a-thon in May. It is coming up in May, uh, where you can volunteer to and sign up to do as many miles and whatever that you want to do. We'll have more information coming out shortly. But that's a really fun way to use to like burn off energy, mm-hmm. all the COVID inside energy to yeah. involve, involve your friends and your family, get outside. Yeah. And not necessarily it's, I mean, pay a registration fee, um, but it's encouraging your community to, to, to volunteer their hours, their exercise for a good yeah. cause. Uh, we, we do look for um, volunteers every so often as well around particular, you know, specialties. So sometimes around social media, sometimes um, board members, you know. Uh, sometimes running fundraisers or hosting events or helping with administration. So it's uh, just keep posted on our website. We do list volunteer options as they come up. Okay. And that's just 10,000windows.org? That's right. And it's the number 10 and then 1,000, not one zero 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 zero. We have a lot of trouble with that I was gonna
0: say that's (laughs) funny um so so we can help by donating and then looking for volunteer options um which is awesome I have a question for you it's not on the list of questions I sent but do you have some tips for us in how we would watch in our own world locally for people who might be victims of sex trafficking do you have any advice
1: there you know, there are some really good resources that f- federal agencies and provincial agencies. Uh, so NBC, uh, other provincial agencies have, have released um, around what the, the signs are in Canada. But typically, vulnerability drives trafficking. Right. So we're wanting to be looking at the margins. You know, who are on the margins of our culture of our society, who, who are the people who are sitting on the margins and um, to be paying attention there. So that's where it's most likely to happen. And to be having those frank conversations with our community and with our kids and having those open conversations, that's that's gonna be our best, our best way to pay attention and to catch something that's happening.
0: Yeah, I think my heart's just kind of like waking up and it's something that I think there's a pull on my heart help in any way possible to be a part of these restoration movements. I feel really, I just love women. I just feel like I wish I could hug everybody like, and that sounds cheesy, but it's absolutely my heart, my heart for people. Okay. So this is just curiosity on my part, but are there jobs in this industry where we can live our life and do a job that fights human trafficking or are you the only lucky angel who has this job in human trafficking? Like, I just can't imagine getting up every day, knowing that I'm making the kind of difference that you're making. It's just, it's, it blows my mind. It's incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, yes, there are jobs. (laughs) I mean, I got my job at one point, so yes, there, I mean, there are jobs and, um, I, I mean, trafficking is a, a, an issue that affects the entire world so often those jobs are available, they come up and they're available uh, all over the world as well, so. Um, yeah and it's it takes a variety of skill sets in order to yeah. run an operation, I mean we run our fundraising and marketing operation here out of North America our is run in the Philippines, and so you know we. We need all sorts of people administration and finance, sometimes it's, you know, it's not, um, it's not always the thing that you, and you can use whatever skills that you have and right. whatever your experience, whatever you, job you have, those, those things can be applied to, to the trafficking sector, anti-trafficking sector. That's really incredible. I had no idea. Um, when you
0: work in this field, is it hard to stay hopeful or do you feel like maybe you have more because you
1: see women being helped? You know, if you'd asked me that question in June, I probably wouldn't have been quite so optimistic because COVID um, certainly impacted our organization profoundly and it has impacted what we have felt around COVID in North America and has been, there has been loss, it has been hard. You know, we've, we canceled everything (laughs) 2020. It, you know, these things were really challenging. I don't want to diminish that. If you'd asked me in June, I would have, uh, it was hard. Um, yeah. And now, now coming sort of out of that, that dark period and we're out of our own lockdown here in British Columbia anyways, I know other places in Canada aren't, but um, the Philippines also has emerged from lockdown and seeing the resilience uh, in, in the survivors that we serve in my own self too. I mean, I just didn't know, you don't know what you're capable of until you go through fire, you know? And, and so I was not hopeful in June. It was hard. Um, but generally what I see is I see more, um, strength and resilience and hope that's forged in adversity. I see that coming out the other side, then then i then i do dwell on the dark things and i do see really remarkable stories of transformation um miracles sometimes that happen and those are really worth celebrating well and i think i noticed that on your instagram page the
0: 10000 windows instagram is that it feels hopeful it feels like you can see a difference being made and Yeah, maybe I clearly didn't know how to who to follow, you know, in terms of restoration. But there are some pictures you guys have without people's faces, and it's just like I just I don't know, like it's just so powerful to me to be like those are women that have been helped, you know, to to see that. And so yeah, this has been a crazy year, and I until I followed you, it hadn't dawned on me about how much worse human trafficking is when there's a pandemic. And I know I think about, you know, kids in our own neighborhood who have really rough homes and now they're home with Mm -hmm. mom and dad all the time. And I know how I feel stress in my own heart and how I'm not always thrilled about how I handle that. And, but my kids aren't being abused. And you know, that some people that's their go-to, right? So to know that in this time of, um, you know lockdowns and all this stuff to know that those people where home isn't a safe place, and now you're there all the time, and you're eight, and you can't get out of there, right? And so, yeah, it just it does break my heart. Um, but it is it is important to stay hopeful. You know, when you see people, I always say the people with the toughest stories have the best grit, and you just see such um, a uniqueness in people who have gone through really hard things, and there's just something so beautiful about what it can can create in people when they get the support and the care and the love and the restoration that they need personally. So thank you for all that you're doing um, in the Philippines. It's I just I appreciate you talking with me so much. And yeah, I hope everyone will go over and check out 10,000 windows on Instagram and I'm going to go check out the website. Hope my boss isn't listening, but I might look at career opportunities. Um, I just think it's I think it's incredible. Like I literally and it sounds funny, but I just I think about how I didn't know there were jobs in these industries and yet it's work that really, really matters. And so it's just an honor to talk to you. So thank you for giving of your time
1: today to talk to me and educate all of us. There's it's a, it's really eye-opening. Well, thank you for having me, Jody. It really has been such a privilege and honor. And yeah, thank you for hearing me (laughs) go on and on about this it is a matter that's near and dear to my heart something I'm passionate about so thank you thank you for the time
0: thanks for being present for this conversation once again I ask that you like subscribe share this podcast with a friend and visit 10,000windows.org and donate today